All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Colossians. Now, the last time we were here, we were finishing up chapter one, and basically we were dealing with the idea or what Paul was trying to express to these Gentile Christians, the Colossians, was their completeness in Christ Jesus. That is, as Christ Jesus himself is God, and thus by, or should I even say, through his redemption, the shedding of his blood upon the cross, God the Father has provided complete salvation, redemption for them in all things. And thus Christ himself being the most glorious one, the most uh, uh, in the sense of the one to whom all attention belongs because of his very nature and his very person in him, he should be glorified. And thus, this is the gospel that Paul preaches wherever he goes. This is the same gospel that Epaphras, the one who originally preached the gospel to the Colossians, preached. And thus, in Christ, he is all and in all their salvation, their everything is made complete in Christ Jesus. And basically, this was the idea that Paul was expressing in chapter one. And we also see, as we talked about this too, in the previous videos, uh, not only in uh, the last one, but in other videos of the dealing with Gnosticism or to be more speci specific, proto-Gnosticism. And we talked about all of these things. So if you have not watched uh, the introduction to the book of Colossians, you may wanna go and check that out so that you'll get some understanding. But in a nutshell, the idea was uh, Gnosticism, proto-Gnosticism, some type of elevated wisdom or new knowledge that these false teachers, these Judaizers, we talked about all of that once again, were trying to bring into this Gentile congregation about Christ Jesus. And, the, and really the sense of it all was an imperfection that they had simply believing in Christ Jesus. And you can see how Paul was dealing with all of that, as I just stated earlier, of their completion, their perfection in Christ Jesus because of his person. That is, he is God Almighty and their redemption was completed through the cross of Jesus Christ, that perfection that they have. But the false teachers were trying to trying to intimate that there were other things necessary. And this brings in that thing about uh, Gnosticism. There is a high level of wisdom that you can have. That is the wisdom that they can give you if you follow the teachings that they themselves were now expressing. And such teachings we'll begin to see even more as we work our way into chapter two. But this elevated wisdom that you can have that these uh, Judaizers, uh, th which were heretics, they were heretics, false teachers, they can give you if you follow their teachings and instructions, listen to them, follow their example and things. And this is what Paul was actually teaching against in Colossians, but this is what was referred to as the Colossian heresy. That is basically the insufficiency of Christ. And Paul was countermanding that with the sufficiency of Christ based again what he is God almighty, the creator of all things and all things are made perfect and complete in him. 
This was the, div the divine will of the father. Okay, we don't need to rehash all of that stuff again. We are now in chapter two as Paul is continuing the thought of that uh, sense of completion, the perfection in Christ Jesus being full and fulfilled in Jesus alone with no nothing else uh, being introduced. You can see the implication. Okay, let me restate that. Chapter one, it was a lot of implication. You can see that Paul was making towards the false uh, the Judaizers. These were false Jewish teachers. Okay, and with the Gnosticism, you can see you saw that a lot. But it was real strong implication. But as we get into chapter two, Paul goes into a frontal and direct assault against these false teachers themselves as well as the doctrines that they were uh, uh, trying to teach these Gentile believers. And I keep stressing Gentile believers because as we move into chapter two, you're going to see what they were talking about explicitly that was uh, 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 different, it made it a different gospel uh, than which they received in the first place. Okay, okay, okay. I can't do it all in this. So let's just get into chapter two. And then we'll talk about each of those issues as we deal with them. All right. One, for I want you to know and don't I, I, I doubt very seriously I'll be able to finish all of chapter two in one video. So we'll just see how far we can get with it. All right. Now, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of the understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom all whom, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now that's, that's a thick sentence, but it's not that difficult. So what Paul is simply saying is this, you can see Paul uh, intimating his imprisonment more so about his suffering for the gospel, because we always know how Paul in his preaching of the gospel was always harassed many times and even most times by Jews, and these were Jewish unbelievers who would sometimes follow Paul from city to city, harassing Paul, trying to get Paul arrested, and ultimately they did get Paul arrested. But anyway, talking about his suffering, the struggle that he had on behalf of Gentile Christians, remember how I keep emphasizing these things, and again, notice what he says in verse number one, how they have not personally seen his face. And this is what we were talking about in the introduction, how that Paul understanding his authority as an apostle to the Gentiles. OK, having that apostolic authority, thus Paul is able to write to them and to command them to encourage them to exhort them. Why? He has the authority over the Gentile church, even unto a people who have never seen Paul. Thus, it was Epaphras, chapter one. Epaphras who initially preached the gospel to
to these Colossians, they believed the gospel and through the working of Epaphras and no doubt and other servants, they, they were formed into a believing body of Christ, into a church, okay? And it was not, they were not founded by the apostle Paul. They had never seen his face. So he writes to do what? Encourage them in the unity of their faith, in the unity of their uh, uh, body, of their body as a believers, believers in Christ. That's verse number two. So their hearts may be encouraged. What? Knit together in love. That speaks of unity, the unity of the believers, but not only unity of, uh, of a family in Christ Jesus. Notice the rest of the statement in verses two and three to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of the understanding and a true not. That's the thick part. The wealth that comes from here is where you'll see again, Paul dealing with the Gnostic heresies. That is again, going back and you have to stay with this because all of these things are so tightly uh, held together in what Paul is trying to deal with. False Jewish teachers. And, they, and this is once again a reflection of the Gnostic heresy. That is, there is a greater wisdom that we can give you, a greater knowledge that we can give you even beyond Christ Jesus. And remember, that's the whole idea. What? They believed these heretics. Jesus was indeed the Messiah who had come in the flesh, died for the sins, rose from the dead, but they did not believe that Jesus was God. Therefore, there was a sense of insufficiency in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul is dealing with. The all sufficiency of Christ Jesus in him and him alone. There is nothing else needed, nothing else needed to be taught, no greater revelation, no greater wisdom. And thus notice what he says, for in Christ Jesus, you have the full assurance. You can be fully assured you are complete in knowledge and understanding. Notice in understanding and epignosis. Remember that word, true knowledge, not some general knowledge. Again, what were the Judaizers talking about? We can give you exalted knowledge, exalted wisdom, a greater knowledge. This Paul is saying, no, because they do not understand and hold to the truth of the person of Christ. God made flesh. They don't have true knowledge, but you having received the gospel from Epaphras concerning the true person of Jesus Christ. He is indeed God creator of all things, creator of, of, uh, of things in heaven, things on the earth, powers and principality. This is who he is. One who was made flesh died for you. Okay. I'm not going to preach all that again. But this was the gospel that you received. And thus, this is the foundation of what? A true understanding and a epignosis, intimate knowledge of God's mystery. And what is God's mystery? Christ, the person of Jesus. And the point that I'm stressing here is differing from what the Judaizers were teaching. D 
in addition to, in addition to, first, they didn't have the proper understanding of the Christ, but then they were teaching other things in addition to worshiping of angels, legalism. And that's what we're about to get into. I don't want to be premature. Other things that will give you a truer, greater knowledge. Paul is simply saying here is the fullness and the most intimate knowledge of the mystery of God is Christ himself, the person of Christ. And you can put it right here, period, because that is being seen here in the objective sense. What is the true intimate knowledge of God? What is the true greatness of all of the mysteries of God? He simply says Christ. That's it. That's it. Go no further. Oh, okay. but anyway, and thus he says, verse number three, three in him, Christ, all of the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You, you see that Gnostic element that is there. Remember the whole sense of Gnostic is what we have greater knowledge and true knowledge, but nevertheless, it is not founded in Christ. It is not positioned alone in Christ. It is based upon the addition of other things. And thus they missed the whole point because if you had positioned it only, founded it only, and ended it only in Christ, the understanding of Christ, the fulfillment of all things in Christ, then you would have what all the hidden treasures and wisdom of knowledge. So this section for the most part, and I'm moving on now, ends Paul dealing with that Gnostic element, okay? That Gnostic element in the, really the attacks against Christ, the completion of the, 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 the believer in Christ. He deals with that, ending that here in Gnosticism. Okay, so that's the point. Verse number four. Now, Paul begins to talk about the purpose. Why is he saying these things? Why is he writing these things? And he also begins to now deal with the second primary element of these false Jewish teachers. Not only were they trying to introduce these Gnostic beliefs, but also trying to bound, bound these Gentile Christians in legalism, that is, being adherence to the law of Moses. And we're going to talk about all of that as we move through the text uh, extensively. But the two main problems, Gnosticism, and we, we just defined all of that, and now legalism and that sense of being perfected by what you do. Legalism perfected by the keeping of of the law of Moses, that is, those 613 commandments that God had given from Exodus to the book of Deuteronomy, all of these things compiled together make the law of Moses. Some people just simply say it, the Old Testament law. Okay, that, that's fine too, but the Mosaic law and the sense of it is these false teachers are trying to compel these Gentiles. And what, what is so important about that? Jews were before Christ, before Christ's death, believing Jews were under the law of Moses. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the law of Moses was abrogated. It was no longer the standard of life for the Jewish believers. However, 
Gentiles were never, as a people, Gentiles were never under the law of Moses. Now, Gentiles can become, uh, uh, Ju come into Judaism and be circumcised. They could have done that and then be able to keep a uh, certain of the practices within the law of Moses, like, uh, uh, Passover and celebrate the Passover meal. It was necessary. A Gentile could celebrate it only if he were circumcised. He was circumcised. Okay. But as a whole, the Gentile people, the Gentile nations were never subject to the law of Moses. It was only given to the Jewish people. But the idea, this is the legalistic idea of these Judaizers were to come and tell these Gentiles that simply believing in Jesus was not good enough. Again, do you sense that sense of imperfection of Jesus, the in incompleteness that they have simply by believing in Jesus alone? That's not enough. You need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Thus, this makes you complete. Okay, so this was another false teaching of these Judaizers. And this is now what Paul is about to deal with moving from Gnosticism now to legalism. Okay. Verse number four, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments for even though I am absent in body, Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. OK, again, purpose. Paul, why are you writing these things? Why are you admonishing these Gentile Christian these things? so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. And that was the case. These Jewish heretics who were coming into the Gentile congregation were teaching these things. And, and again, he's going to say even in this chapter two, things that sounded good to these Gentile hearers. And so they were saying, oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. That sounds like that might be true. OK, I can understand how you're trying to put these things together and how you guys have this great wisdom. You guys, the, the, it was God had taken you Jews as a people unto himself. God had given his revelation, the law of Moses to you Jews. And thus we can understand how you would have this revelation. And thus you guys can really give us the right understanding. And we understand these arguments that you are trying to make concerning these Gnostic things, concerning the person of Christ, concerning the necessity of the keeping of the law. Yeah, you guys make a good point. You have a good point there. But their arguments were contrary to the gospel. And thus Paul is saying, I'm writing to you so that no one will make persuasive art because people can make, can say things that seem logical that sound good and can be persuasive, but they are not with the yay and amen of the word of God. No matter what the argument is, let me just simply say this as an aside, and I'm going to get back into uh, the exegesis of the text. No matter what the argument is that a person is trying to make to you, 
it must follow with the teachings of the word of God and it must follow the teaching of the word of God exegetically. That is, what is the Bible saying in context at this particular point? You see, you can pretty much say anything that you want with the Bible for the scripture says that is in the law. Do not suffer a witch to live. So as we read that, do we now say if there's a person that is, say, for instance, that we know in our society today practicing witchcraft, do we execute them? And this is something some of the things that they actually did in early America. It is a part of our history that we took Amer uh, 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 colonizers. This was during the time of the college, the 12 colleges. But we're not going to rehash all of that. But nevertheless, they took people, condemned them of witchcraft and burned them to the stake or even drowned them because they were going on the point. Witches, according to the Bible, should not live. But this was in accordance to the law of Moses, which was categorical, which was abolished. No longer the standard of life. So the point that I'm trying to make is you can take the scripture, the Bible, and pretty much say anything that you want. But you must always take it contextually. What God is trying to say to whom God is trying to say, and even under what era that God is saying this. Does this apply to us today? Such persuasive arguments can be used pretty much to say anything that you want. Okay, back to the text now. All right, so what was Paul say? As I'm writing, so that you won't be persuaded with these types of argument, even though I'm not with you, in the flesh, because what? This is again, Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment. We see that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, 20, and thus all throughout, uh, uh, following that. He was not with them uh, physically, but in spirit, in mind, he was with them. Notice what he's saying. Rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. That is, if I had to say it in a, a simple preaching kind of way, that you are holding on. The things that Epaphras preached to you about Christ Jesus, the doctrines that Epaphras preached to you, the teachings that were given to you about the person and the works of Jesus hold on to these teachings and not be what? Not be persuaded by what sounds good and sounds believable and seems logical by other false teachers. Paul is saying, I'm with you in spirit as you hold on to the original teachings about Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the completion that you have in Christ. I want to see that and I rejoice with you, even in you, in keeping in the faith. Okay, therefore, he says what? Here is the admonition as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And I like that, too, because Christ refers to Jesus as the Messiah. In his humanity, him being in the flesh. 
And then he says, the Lord, this refers to the divine nature of Jesus. Jesus is God. As you have received the doctrines concerning the person of Jesus Christ, God who has come in the flesh, walk in him. Continue in these teachings. Continue in the things that you have been taught. That is again by Epaphras concerning Christ Jesus, not being persuaded by even what seems reasonable by these Jewish heretics. Okay, now let's get into this next section. And with this, we're not going to be able to get too far. I've gone far enough, but let's get into this section here as we now delve directly into the legalism that was being taught by these Jewish heretics. And again, the legalism refers to the keeping of the law of Moses. And even today, I'm still always shocked because, and I can understand how people say the whole Bible, you have to keep the whole Bible. They just, just don't understand it. You, you have to understand if you, let me use this term very loosely, loosely, these dispensations, that dispensation of the law. The law of Moses was never intended. Paul makes that abundantly clear in the book of Romans. And we see that in Romans chapter seven. He also in Galatians, the epistle to a Galatian, which Paul was hot with the Galatian church. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. What's going on that you're trying to turn to the law for your justification? The law was a tutor. The law was something to train up a young child. Once the child comes into adulthood, you no longer need a tutor. The law was never intended by God to remain forever. It had its point of dispensation that once the Messiah comes in, thus you have the maturity of the people, the maturity of the age, thus the law, which was the tutor for the child, is no longer needed. And now you have the fullness of all things in Christ himself. Okay. The law never intended to remain once Christ came, the new standard of life was, was coming through the teachings of the Messiah and the prophets and apostles of the New Testament. These are the teachings that govern the lives of the believers today, not the old, old Testament <laughs> mosaic law. But anyway, so Paul gets into this particular section as we continue on in verse number seven. Let's do it. And we're going to come to an end in here and we'll have to pick it up in the next video. Having been, that is in Christ Jesus, rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. There's a problem there. Just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That is, he continues on what being rooted in the teachings that they have concerning Christ. What, what I've been saying again and again and again, built up in Christ Jesus, established in your faith established in what 
What Epaphras, what, what did Epaphras teach you about Jesus? What did, what did Epaphras teach you about your salvation? How it is rooted and established in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And that's the idea that Paul is implicating here. Okay, so the idea rooted and established. Let me even say it this way, unmovable by persuasive arguments of the false teachers. You see how it works now? But then it says established in your faith. Actually, in the Greek text, it's not your faith. It is tepiste, the faith rooted and established in not your personal belief in the Christ, but in the doctrinal teachings concerning the Christ. Do you see the difference in that? Being established, firmly rooted in the faith. And when he speaks of the faith here, that simply means, pay attention closely here, a body of doctrinal beliefs that were taught and handed down to these Gentile Christians. A body of beliefs, truths concerning Jesus. And Paul is saying he wants them to be rooted and established in the faith and not what what these Judaizers were trying to teach and bring into their church. Not by, as it says in verse number four, persuasive arguments. OK, things that sound right. But ultimately, they are not right. Now, verse number eight, hitting it directly. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy in empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Let's go a little bit further. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So again, you can see Paul emphasizing what he was saying about what? Telling them, these Gentile Christians, not being persuaded by, or not being deluded by persuasive arguments. What? By what? See to it that no one takes you captive. See the work that is being implied concerning these false Jewish teachers bringing in what some form of philosophy, additional uh, uh, ideas and concepts about religion, salvation, maybe even the Christ. But nevertheless, philosophy, notice empty deception, vain deception. These teachings are not building you up in Christ Jesus or building you up in your salvation. They are actually deceiving you, empty deception. Listen, and where are, what is the source of these things? The tradition of men, the elementary principles of the world. These things are coming merely from the teachings of men. And Paul's going to talk about these things, even being puffed up in the mind of men. But these things are not coming from the scriptures, these things are not coming from apostolic teachings concerning the Christ, but these things are coming or being evolving in their philosophies, coming from teachings that come from just mere men. 
But hold on to what? Look at the very end. Rather than according to Christ. So again, if you want the true wisdom, if you want the true knowledge, if you want complete to be complete in every way, if you want to have the full understanding and the full assurance that comes from God, even the mysteries of God, then you hold to what? Other teachings, uh, 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 things that are deceptive that come from the tradition of men or the persuasive argument that come from men. Is that where you turn to? No, you hold simply and only again to Christ. What is talked about concerning the doctrines that you've been taught concerning Christ, the person of Christ for what? Again, notice how Paul brings it in again. Verse number nine for in him. I like this. Let me go to Greek. I I just want to do it in the Greek. That's what I want to do. I want to do it in the Greek. Hanti in auto because in him katoike is dwelling is dwelling what panta pleroma all the fullness what taste theotitas somatikas the fullness of God in bodily form for in Jesus what do you have? Theotikos, that is all that it is to be God, all that it means to be God. And you can see Paul's going right back to what he was saying in verse number in chapter one about the person of Jesus, who is in the very image of God himself. He is God almighty. He is the creator of all things. And thus in verse number nine, for in Christ Jesus, what? All of the fullness of what it is to be God, of what it means to be God, is presently. And I like that. I want to lay down. Notice that verb katoike is a present tense Greek verb. Right now, as Jesus is in his glorified body, but nevertheless, although he still possesses a glorified body at this time, in his resurrection from the dead, All of the fullness of God is dwelling in that body. That which is, that which pertains to God the Father, the very being of God, Jesus also shares in what? That very being of God. The fullness that is in God the Father is the same fullness that is in Christ Jesus. Thus, Paul is trying to say what? Hold to Christ, hold to the teachings that you have received, to the doctrines that you have received concerning the person of Christ, because what? Ain't nothing else. He is the all in all. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the first born from the dead. He is God creator of heaven and earth, God, creator of principalities, rulers and powers. He is God for all the fullness of God dwells in him. Thus, you don't have to be persuaded by other deceptive arguments, by other things 
in addition, for if you have Christ, you are complete. You have all things. And that's what he just said in verse number 10. What? And let me go there. And in him, what? You have been made complete. And you don't need nothing else. For Christ is all. God, you are now complete. You don't have to look unto the law. And that's what he's going to be talking about. You're made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to leave you guys on a cliffhanger because that's when he's going to get that delve directly. I've been saying that for a minute, but Paul has been building up, building up that crescendo as he's getting ready to work into that dealing with the law of Moses. But that completion in Christ Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the fullness of God, you are complete. You need nothing else. And Jesus, who is God, is head over the church, over the you, over everything in creation, head over all rule and authority. And I'm going to stop right there. I don't want to make the video too long and you guys get bored. But that was an exciting part as we see now. Now, even though let, let, let's rehash, let's rehash what we just talked about in the earlier part of this chapter two was Paul kind of finishing off his issue of dealing with one of the problems, uh, uh, the Gnosticism, one of the issues that these Judaizers, false Jewish teachers, the, that's when Paul was giving, uh, speaking about the philosophy and persuasive teachings and the having the full wisdom and revelation and knowledge and understanding and mysteries, all of that, because this, this was a part of what Gnosticism was. It was an offering to have some exalted form of knowledge and this and that, but it was apart from Jesus, not truly understanding the person of Jesus in addition to Jesus. And you can see by the very text that we've been dealing with, Paul is saying what? But Jesus is everything. You're complete in Jesus. There is true knowledge, true understanding, true uh, perception of the understanding and the mysteries of God in Jesus, thus making you, making you what? Verse number 10, complete in Jesus. As long as you have Jesus that's it. So he dealt with the Gnosticism. And then as he continued on, Paul, you can see that prep work that Paul was getting ready to do as we we didn't get into all of that because really it started in verse number 11. Notice you were also circumcised. Now that's when he started bringing in stuff about the law. Why? Because according to the law, you must be what? Circumcised and the keeper of what? The law. We see this in Acts chapter 15. Circumcised keeping of the law. And that's when he starts to get into this issue about legalism and the keeping of the law. There is no need for these things in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in the next video, how at the law, all of his commandments and ordinances were taken away when Jesus went to the cross. And that's what he's going to talk about. And he's going to prepare for that part. Okay. So we're not going to get into that, but Gnosticism, we talked about that earlier. Now that prep work for legalism, that is in response to the keeping of the law of Moses. The point is, Gentile believers do not do that. We are no longer under the standard of the law. We are in Christ Jesus. The law is no longer, uh, uh, we're not obligated to the keeping of the law. The law has been done away with. The law has passed away. Romans chapter seven, the law is a husband who died. And now we are free to be married to a new husband. That is Christ Jesus. Okay. Anyway, guys, 
Thanks for joining me with that. Again, I always enjoy that. If this uh, teaching has been a blessing to you uh, and the spirit moves you to it, uh, support the ministry. There's a link in the description, uh, uh, places that I'm going to leave that, that you can support the ministry so that we can continue to bring you these teachings. And as always, um, uh, the YouTube thing, remember to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. If you haven't subscribed, this, this help the propagation of the gospel. But anyway, guys, uh, good to be back. Last week kind of took a little break, had some things to do, but it's good to be back and continuing in the teaching of God's word. Can't wait to see you again. All right, guys. See you next time.